This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so excited you are joining us today. This podcast is for parents or anybody helping raise kids, and I hope you feel an abundance of support when you listen to this podcast. This is a returning guest episode, which I'm always so excited about. Uh, Julie Bogart is on the show today. She was episode 117. She was recently on the show where we talked about raising critical thinkers. I loved that conversation so much. I had to have her back on because there was so much more I wanted to talk about with Julie. Julie is the creator and owner of Brave Writer. It's an online writing and language arts program. We don't talk about writing in this episode, though. That is a big part of what she does. She homeschooled her five kids and has a huge passion for walking alongside other parents who are doing the same. Today, though, we talk about what happens when our hopes and dreams for our kids do not align with their hopes and dreams for themselves. Uh, We also talk about motivating our kids to be a successful person without pushing them in any one direction or another. Uh, A lot of common themes I always hear when I talk to Julie is about being curious and helping our kids be curious, um, how we can guide them but not do things for them, right? So hard sometimes. And we also talk about relationships with adult parents. I mean, there's so much in this episode. I, I cannot throw it all in this intro and I don't want to, but I do want to say like, it's full of so many good things. Don't skip this episode. It's so good. Julie is amazing. We talk a lot about generational stuff too. I'm like, Julie, we need to host an intergenerational conference for parents. This could be awesome. Um, so anyway, I learned a lot. I felt supported. I felt encouraged. And I hope that you feel that too from Julie felt like I was getting a big hug from her. We're all doing okay. I usually say this at the end, but if you are not following Julie on Instagram, go follow her, Julie Brave Writer. You won't regret it. So much good stuff over there. All right, friends, if you are enjoying this podcast, hey, I am trying to grow this show. It is not an easy feat. So if you do enjoy it and you feel encouragement from it, can you share it with like your five closest parent friends that you think might enjoy it as well. That would be a huge help in growing the show or share it on your social media. Tag us. We're why is everyone yelling on Instagram? Um, I'm just shamelessly going to ask you to help me do that. If you are finding value in it, that is a really simple way you can support us. And uh, also leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. That is another way. Uh, Okay. Well, I hope you enjoy this and I hope you're having a great day. Enjoy my conversation with Julie. All right. I'm so excited to welcome Julie Bogart back to the show. Welcome back to the show, Julie. Thank you, Lindsay. It's thrilling to be here. (laughs) Okay. So one of my most fun things is when I find a guest for the show and then after I interview them, I'm like, whoa, I love following this person. They're so fun. So I didn't know that it would end up being so awesome, but it is. And I love following everything you're doing. Wow. That is a lovely compliment. I'm so glad it's helpful. Um, Can we, this is kind of a weird way to kick off, but can we kick off you embracing your gray hair? Because I love it so much. Okay. Thank you for saying that because I have to be honest, I'm a natural brunette. And so going from brunette to gray, I think is different than going from blonde to gray. Blondes are used to their faces being framed by light color. And when you switch to gray from brunette, it's it's like every now and then I still look in the mirror. I'm like, who is that? And there are certain angles of light that make my hair really white. And then I feel very old. And there is a lot of pressure online, especially when you're a public person on Instagram or you do webinars, especially when you're around millennials. I start feeling, well, people call me grandmother or mm-hmm. aunt. They're like, you're the grandmother of homeschooling. I'm like, I'm your mom's age. Um, You could call me your mom, but don't call me your grandma, you know, and I think it's the hair. So it's, it's an adjustment. So I appreciate all compliments. Okay. That's actually a really good topic to kick off with as well, because 
Um, I think we have this fear as we age that we're going to become not relevant anymore. Yes. I already feel that approaching 40. I'm going to be 40 in August. And I'm like, am I not going to be, you know, like cool? And I know that sounds so dumb and we should lean into the aging process. Who was I talking to? Oh, Stacy Sims. She's um, really big in the fitness industry and talks about working out through perimenopause and menopause. And she was talking about how in other cultures, like people really high hold these older women with this like really high regard. And we should lean into that instead of like do all the things to look younger and, and fear the aging process. So how do you, how are you walking through that? You're like 60, right? 61. And okay. honestly, it's tricky. Uh, I remember when I turned 40, I felt disappointed in myself because I thought by 40, I was supposed to have achieved my major thing by then. What's hilarious to me now is my kids in their 30s. I'm like, oh, they are so young. They they don't. They, there's no way they should have done their thing yet. Like there's there's no way. And I look back, I started Brave Writer when I was 38. And of course, it was tiny back then. And I felt like I was just at the beginning. Mm-hmm. When I got to age 50, 12 years later, I'm like, I started that when I was pretty young. Like your perspective on those decades really changes the more time you get under your belt. So the thing that I think about now that's tricky for me is I am in the context of women who could all be my kids. You know, there was a time when I was the peer, then I was slightly older, like a big sister, and now I'm definitely in the age of their mothers. Um, And for some of them, it is a significant, you know, they're in their 20s, like younger than my own youngest child. So I am conscious of that and trying to stay current and look current seems like it matters for money. Mm. So in my personal life, I really don't care. I really actually feel perfectly fine with my friends, with my family, walking around Kroger. I'm not thinking, gosh, I wish people thought of me as young. But when it comes to running a business and being the face of something, I have greater appreciation for actors, Mm. for people who are in the media. There is a lot of pressure and there is scrutiny and people make comments even when they think they're being complimentary. You know, oh, you're the grandma of homeschooling. I'm like, (laughs) totally. Oh, my gosh. And I struggle with when you see someone and for my age context, since I'm just about 40, um, when you see someone that's 25 or 30 doing this really big, crazy thing and you're like, gosh, I wasn't accomplishing all that when I was that young. And that uh, com- I, I hate to use that word comparison because we use it so much on social media, but like it just creeps in and you're thinking, what have I done? And I'm 40. I remember that feeling when Barack Obama won the presidency. He was born the same year as me. Wow. I was like, man, wow, this he's guy. The president. Yeah. This guy got a lot done by age 48. <laughs> what the heck have I been doing? Right. Like that was a little bit the feeling like, wow, 48 to run the whole country, to be the most powerful person in the world. And I was the same age. And it was also like this big shift, like, holy cow, my generation is running everything right now. When I started looking around, I'm like, they run companies, they run ad agencies, they run the economic sector, they're the leaders in the UN. And suddenly my 50s, became this really interesting decade. I'm like, this is when we're in charge. But as quick as I felt that feeling, I turned 60. Yeah, Like the yeah. decade just flew by and I'm like, oh no, I'm already not relevant. I had one decade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like, you want your doctors and your pilots and all those people doing those important things to be like 48 because you want them to be seasoned enough, but not too seasoned, not that too old. Is- Oh my gosh, that's so true. When I broke my ankle, it was 2017 and it was on Labor Day. So I had to go to the ER. I couldn't, you know, and it was somebody on call. And the guy who was assigned to me to repair my ankle was a hand specialist. Like he repairs hands and he was 35. (laughs) And I said to him, I don't know, should I trust you? He goes, Julie, I've done tons of ankles, tons. But if you don't want to, we'll just, you know, pack it on ice and put you on pain meds and we can wait till Thursday when there's an ankle person. Well, this was Monday. And so I was texting with my son who lives locally. And at the time he was like 32. And he said to me, mom, he's 35. That means he just got out of med school and really knows the most current surgery strategies. He's got great eyesight. 
and he's at the top of his game. I would go with him. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just said, okay. But I was like looking at this guy going, gosh, you're a kid. How can yeah. I trust you? And my son is like, he's older than me. He must be competent. So there is so much of it is just perspectival, like where you've, how long you've lived, how many decades under your belt. Um, and then you're right. Comparing yourself is inevitable. You can't help it. Yeah. Okay. So now we think about our own kids. Yes. Because we were just talking about like what we expect, where we expected ourselves to be at a certain age. Oh. And and one of the things I wanted to talk about is all the hopes and dreams we have for our own kids. Mm. And even when they're as young as eight or whatever it is, they don't have the same hopes and dreams for their life that we have. Oh my gosh. I love this question so much. First of all, because you recognize that those two are different from each other. A lot of us assume that the hope and dream we have for our child, because we believe it's good for them, that they have already adopted it or will adopt it with enough enforcement and vision casting, mm -hmm. right? So there are lots of parents who look at a child and think, well, he's too young to know that he wants college, yeah, right? So that's why he says he doesn't want it. He just doesn't know yet. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes, you know, thinking of a a eight-year-old being married and having a full-time career is not on their mind. So that's a silly thing to bring up as a motivation for doing your math homework. Like that, <laughs> they're not motivated by that. That's too far in the distance. It's not their immediate vision. But I also like to recognize that kids not only don't know what they want, they only know what they want today. Mm -hmm. And so we want to give them lots of flexibility to try out different personas. My son, Jacob, is my favorite example of this in my family of five because he was the most goal-oriented of my five kids. So there was a time when he wanted to be a professional baseball player. Um, he's been wearing glasses since he was four. So that was never going to happen. He was also not super coordinated in baseball, but that was his dream. So he played baseball for a number of years, was terrible. He looks back and he laughs. He's like, I can't believe I thought it was possible, but... That's what he wanted. So he went all the way in. He really enjoyed baseball. Then he decided he wanted to be an astronaut. Well, our family's not particularly sciencey or moneyed. So mm -hmm. I'm like, sorry, kid, can't go to space camp. We can't afford it. His father said, well, actually, you could raise the money. Why don't we start a cookie selling business in the neighborhood and you can raise the funds? Sure enough, that's exactly what they did. And he raised the $850, paid for space camp, went, came home and said, I don't want to be an astronaut. <laughs> wow. Right. His next aspiration was to be a bartender. I just want you to see how different each of these are. And it turns out bartending, it, we'll, we'll look at the long arc of that desire. But at the time, it was really about celebration and mm -hmm. having a party and mixing interesting. He liked baking. So now it was like mixing interesting chemicals. Of course, he couldn't drink. He was 13, <laughs> but he was making these mocktails and putting them in interesting glasses and having a party at our house. Um, and then as he kept going, he suddenly got fascinated. Wait for the sharp left turn in human rights. I was studying at the time all about social justice issues and the Holocaust in my graduate school program, and he just trailed along. And the next thing you know, that became his obsession. So all the way fast forward to today, he has gotten his law degree from Columbia Law in the field of human rights. Today works for the UN in Central Africa, is about to move to Hong Kong and work for the Remedy Project, which is an organization that puts human rights into action inside businesses. So that's wow. his next job. And by night, he is a DJ at clubs. Wow. There's the little bartending art yeah. Yeah. fulfilling itself. So could he have said at 15 or 12, I want to be a DJ? And have a JD. We used to say JD by day, Juris Doctorate by day, DJ by night. Yeah, yeah. He didn't know that. He got there through this sort of interesting journey. And our only job was to be a witness to it and to find ways to support him in that self-discovery. So yes, my imagination was probably go to high school, go to college, 
get a career, get married, have kids. He has no interest, by the way, in being married because it limits the work he can do. So there you go. Wow. Yeah, I would say the human rights job plus the DJing at night, one of those things would have to take a back seat if he had babies at home. Oh, a thousand percent. In fact, his <laughs> current position, you're not allowed to be there if you have a family. So everybody that works in the UN in Central Africa, it's the um, Central African Republic, has to be single. So wow. he's around all these people in their 30s and 40s who are single, and that's his community. And I think it's really fascinating to realize of my five kids, he looked like he was going to be the most traditional. Mm. And of the five, he turned out the least traditional, the most unconventional. So when you have these visions in your head and you say, oh, I know what my son's going to do or I know what my son's going to be. It's a good reminder to yourself that you don't know to just go in with beginner's mind again and again with your kids. Okay, so this has me thinking about the well, the fact that you have five kids and I have four. Yes, it's helpful. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Because I'm thinking if you have one or even two, you're like, wow, there's not, you know, there's not very many of them. And like you really you want the best for all of your kids. And yeah, but when there's more, it's it the pressure doesn't feel as high almost. Yeah. And I think you're more aware of how much they aren't you. Yes. You know, when you have one child, it almost just feels like an extension of your body in some ways. This is what I've been told by my friends who have one child and, and they can really sort of cater to that child too. You know, yeah. I had a friend who had an only child and that daughter got to play two instruments. I was like, what a luxury. Right? <laughs> like, that's amazing. Um, we could, we could barely afford one instrument per child and we had to rotate them, you know? So, so there is a little bit more of an idealization probably when you only have one and you can devote all of your energy to that child's desires and shape them in the direction you want. But the more you have, the more you start to see, you don't really have control. Like I'll tell you an alternative story because this one's also really fun to share. My oldest son, Noah, is my least academically inclined. So he really did not like traditional homeschooling with a schedule and workbooks. He was mostly unschooled. He tried high school. He quit. He went to college late three different times, quit every single time. Wow. He finds it just annoying. He didn't want to do a graduation celebration like he was my oldest, least traditional kid. He got into heavy metal music. Um, it, all these things that for me felt, you know, he didn't choose religion for himself. He moved in with a girlfriend. He did all those kinds of things, right? Today, he's a self-taught computer programmer who lives in the suburbs with a wife and two kids <laughs> and owns a house. Yeah. Like the one I would have picked for the most unusual outcome lives the life most similar to what he was raised in. And I think it's just, again, this tendency we have to think we actually know the journey our kids should take mm. instead of being on the journey with them and being just as curious as they are about what they need and want. You know, I remember the day that Noah said, okay, I'm ready to have kids. He was like 29 or 30. And I was like, oh my gosh, you don't even have like the woman yet. And he's like, I know, but my biological clock is ticking. I want a family. <laughs> And I, it just took me by surprise. His 20s had been kind of footloose and fancy free, right? So you just don't know. That's funny, too, because you don't really hear men talking about their biological clocks since they don't. It's true. Of course, have to carry the baby. <laughs> That's right. But he was like, I want to have energy when I have children. Yeah. I want to do it. their activities with them. But all that to say, his younger brother, who's now 31, has none of that going on. Yeah. He doesn't feel that at all. So yeah, it's no matter what you model, uh, I mean, just think of yourself. Did you turn out to be? Some of my audience will occasionally say, yep, I'm just like my parents expected me to be. But the majority of us have pivoted in some meaningful way. Yeah. And that's because we want to be individuals, not carbon copies or cookie cutters of what our parents imagined. All right, friends, I got to take a quick break here and tell you about this lash therapy that I've been using it has been a game changer for my eyelashes. 
I basically like had hardly any eyelashes at all before I started using lash therapy by Hello Skincare. I did not have high hopes that this would work very well and my goodness, it has totally changed how my eyelashes look. I'm not a huge makeup person either, but having more thick, full eyelashes has made me feel a lot better. Um, you can step up your game in just 60 days. It does not take 60 days. I, I feel like I noticed a difference within two weeks. You'll have longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes using Lash Therapy by Hello Skincare. Uh, you can save too, 15% when you go to helloskincare.com. When you check out, use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-H-2-0. They also have a C serum that I use in the morning and a night serum that I use every night. You can buy the package of three. But if you're only going to buy one product from them and you're going to start somewhere, start with that lash therapy. And let me know what you think. I'm serious. These results are crazy. HelloSkincare.com. Use the code LindsayH20 for 15% off your first order. All right, friends, back to the show. So looking back... You've, you, you know, you've done raising your kids for a while now. How did you observe that and, and lead them? I mean, you gave the story of your son and the space camp, which I love by the way, because your husband's idea of like giving him the opportunity to like make the money himself. Right. Um, like how can you encourage us to walk beside our kids and, you know, we want to push them. (laughs) <laughs> it's but true we, but like because we want them to be their best selves yeah but let them lead the way so maria montessori has a quote that i absolutely love she says follow your child but follow your child as their leader mm. okay so think about it this way your child expresses a desire i want to go to space camp what did i do i just poured a big old bucket of cold water on that i said we can't afford it sorry you can't go My husband instead turned to him and said, well, Jake, if you want to go, there is a way to make that happen. And this is what it is. And I can come alongside you and show you how to do it. And they did. They got a clipboard. They went around the neighborhood taking orders. He learned how to make those cookies using a recipe I had. And we did it with him. We shopped for the ingredients. And do you know that cookie business lasted eight years? Wow. He he did it for four. And then my younger daughter took it over to fund her fashion habit. She was running a fashion blog and wanted to thrift every weekend. And so she took it over. And recently I was walking my neighborhood and the woman who was the primary client, there was one family that was all eight years. Mm. Uh, She had moved away and apparently just moved back. And we saw each other and started chatting. I said, Shelly, did I ever tell you that we calculated how much money you guys spent on cookies? And she's like, oh my gosh, don't even tell me. I said, $3,000 over eight years. Oh my gosh. That's the power of supporting a child though. You know, just leaning in. It doesn't mean you have to have the solution, but you can brainstorm and support finding them right? You can brainstorm and support finding them. So if you have a child who's just really craving playing role-playing games and they're a homeschooled child and they don't have friends, can you find the card shop? Can you do the online research? Can you accompany them the first time? Can you do some Facebook searching for gaming communities that are local to where you live? That's the kind of thing your kids need from you more than well, honey, you're homeschooled and role-playing games aren't really very homeschool friendly. And I'm nervous about you meeting all those kids. And I'd rather you do X over here. What we want to do is actually help our kids have their big, hairy, audacious goals, their BHAGs. This is a Jim Collins word that he uses for business, but I found it really useful with my kids. What is your big, hairy, audacious goal? If money and time were no object, what would we be doing right now? And then how can I support some version of that, some piece of that? What if your kid says, I don't have one? (laughs) They do. But if they tell you they don't, it's because they know you're going to disqualify it. Ah, so how do we then like, how do we then try to like get it out of that? So it needs to be smaller. A Mm. lot of times, so big for them is big. 
But when you say big, they might be thinking that you're picturing your size of a dream. So here's a good example. I use it actually in my book, um, The Brave Learner. Humans of New York had one story that was one of my total favorites. This mom had a boy whose goal was to have a horse, just to have a horse. They lived in Manhattan, New York. <laughs> They're not going to have a horse, right? That's, that's not going to happen. But the mom took his desire seriously. And she said, all right, well, to get a horse, you have to have money. So we got to think about ways for you to start saving up money. So what they did is he went through his bedroom and he found toys he wasn't playing with anymore. And they went down to a park in Manhattan and they laid out a blanket to sell his little toys to start raising money. So this is amazing to me. Like, that's not going to buy a horse. Right. But she was joining with mm. the desire to see where it would go. And ironically, Brandon from Humans of New York stopped by, asked the question, and that connection led him to sharing the story, which led the community to giving money, and they used the money to send him to a dude ranch. Mm. So now he didn't get a horse, but he got a dude ranch experience through his mother just joining a tiny bit with this child's desire, just taking it that one next step. A similar thing happened with my daughter, Johanna. I was watching all these Jane Austen movies and I asked her one day the question, you know, if you had all the time and money in the world, what would we be doing right now? And she said, I want to host a Jane Austen ball. <laughs> and I thought, well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. Yes. But then I realized the first step is just learning the dances could we find a dance company in Cincinnati that taught vintage dance? So I got online and I started looking and I found a community for adults. I made the phone call. Would you welcome a child? Yes. It's $8 a week. I'm like, I don't have that kind of money. She said, well, we could do a barter. So we started delivering flyers for them to neighborhoods on Mondays and dancing on Wednesday nights. And lucky me, they hosted the ball. And my wow. daughter got to wear a dress that was donated to her at this ball, dancing with her brother, just like she was at Pemberley. Mm. And then that was the end of it. It did not continue beyond that. But that season, she learned dances from both Europe and the United States during that time period. She learned history around the dances, why they were created, what role they played in both the court and American society. She got to work with adults. She got to learn dance moves. She got to costume, cosplay, right? Do all those things. And we ended up reading all the Jane Austen books while we were doing that. So you just don't know where these things will lead. But if you join just that little bit, you give the greatest opportunity for your kids to have a truly unique childhood and potential future. I will just add, for high school, when she was applying to college, she entered a contest at our local high school for scholarship money and wrote her paper on feminism and Jane Austen. Oh. So you just don't know where these things will lead, right? You've got to allow some breathing room and not script it for them because they're creative. Their own minds will generate the meaning they need as they integrate these great experiences. That's so cool. Yeah. What I'm hearing is asking questions, being curious and then going off script, yeah. right? Because our lives, you know, this is what I, I focus on this a lot because I think that we live in such a busy culture and we have to sign our kids up for a million camps and all the things. And if we can just like pause from all that and, and get curious, and I know that can be easier said than done. If you're work, both parents are working full time. A lot of times you're signing your kids up for camps because like you need the childcare. That's right. That's right. But if we step away from the busyness and don't feel the pressure of like signing our kids up for every single sport, we leave room for them to get creative and us to like lean into that creativity. I also think that it can be so small. For instance, your child may just want to have you be the person who plays Yu-Gi-Oh cards with them. One of my kids just didn't have any sibling that wanted to play, didn't have any friends 
And he just desperately wanted to play Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Let me just preface this by saying I absolutely hate playing <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Like my least favorite. Activity. I don't even know what it is. It's like Pokemon. Ah. It's literally like Pokemon. They're just another anime version of characters on these cards that have superpowers that can kick and flip. And, and I did it once a week with him for a year. And that was our time together. And that was his joy. And I will be honest, sometimes my brain was rearranging the spice drawer while we were playing, right? Uh Because it's not my passion, but it gave him the love and support he needed to have an experience that was really important to him. So maybe your kids aren't going to do a big Jane Austen ball (laughs) or go to space camp, but maybe the secret wish that lives inside your child is dedicated time with you doing the one thing they think is more joyful than anything in the universe. And it's something they don't feel like they can risk telling you because they're afraid you'll shut it down. Mm. So at that point, you want to say something along the lines, what's something you want to do that you think I wouldn't want Mm -hmm. to do? I love that. Just name it. What is something you want to do that you think I wouldn't want to do? I wouldn't want you to do. And it's okay if you tell me, I'm really, truly curious. This is a no judgment zone. I'm just I'm just noticing you seem a little bored. You seem a little distracted. You seem a little ho-hum. And it made me think, you know what? Maybe there's a secret wish you have that I don't know about. And I want to I want to think about how we can help some of that come true for you. Love that. That's so good. Yeah. Um, and I like the idea of having a certain time every week. Yeah. So that you don't like you're giving a small percentage of time and That's he's right. not expecting you to do it every single day. That's right. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up because I think sometimes we want to be such good parents that we think we're not good parents if we have any kinds of boundaries around our level of engagement. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is we have full on 100%, 150% in, we get exhausted, and then the next request comes right on the heels Mm -hmm. of it, and we're angry that that didn't last. But it doesn't last. Yeah. It lasts while it's happening. So if your kids know, I am going to give you this amount of my energy when it's over, I'm going to do this. That helps set the expectation correctly. But if we treat it like, well, now that they've figured out a way to get us involved, and if we ever stop, it will look like we don't love them, uh, resentment will build. So yeah, good boundaries for yourself are helpful. One of my um, biggest frustrations is when I sit down to play a game with my kids, like multiple kids. Yes. And it ends in a fight. Oof. Is that not the most? Because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm all in. I'm all focused. I'm not distracted. I'm doing exactly what you want. And they start fighting and you're like. (laughs) I think kids fighting is always so unsettling. I had a therapist tell me one time, she was a social worker who worked with teens And I had all this elaborate thinking in my head about how to reconcile my kids and how to help them navigate. And I'll share some of those ideas in a second. But I thought this frame was the best. She said, but that's what siblings do. Mm. She's like, that's how safe they feel. That's how safe they feel. They can bump up against each other and say, hey, it was my turn. I can't believe you took that out of my hand. Who else on the planet can you do that with? Mm -hmm. Only your siblings. So she's like, you know, let them work it out a little bit. Don't be so afraid of their anger. Let them have the safety to be like, hey, (laughs) you know, that's not okay with me. And then the other person say back, well, tough, (laughs) you know, let them experience that. that. I know it was life changing. Um, Yeah, I actually now that you mentioned it, I just recently saw somebody somebody shared some reel on Instagram saying that they heard that. Um, if your kids scream and yell and fight, that means they feel really safe. And she was like, my kids feel very safe. <laughs> <laughs> and I never, I don't think about it like that. And that's such a great point because I walk around going, I just want everybody to be happy. Same. Just be nice and kind and loving. And you walk around thinking, what have I done wrong to have these angry kids? I you know? think that's a really reasonable question. I mean, certainly if if there is, you know, an angry parent in the mix or abuse happening or whatever, sometimes they're modeling after that and you have to be honest about it. Or maybe you're a fly off the handle mom and they've learned to fly off the handle. I mean, I'm not saying any of that with judgment because parents have rough lives and 
they have their own stories from their childhood and their own coping skills. And everybody does things they regret and their kids imitate them to prove that these are regrettable things. <laughs> so that totally. exists. But when your kids are just like a couple of puppies in a cage and they're just bumping up against each other and negotiating who gets the next chew on the toy, that's pretty ordinary stuff for a family. And the best thing a parent can do is support that space. You can name what's going on. I love, love, love Adele Favor and Elaine Maslish's book, Siblings Without Rivalry. One of the best. Definitely share it with your audience. Um, but they talk about naming. Like you can say things like, hey, it looks like Johnny thinks it's his turn and Billy doesn't. And you just like define what's going on because a lot of it is just noise to get on to the page, the concern or the upset. So as a parent, instead of correcting the behavior, name what the behavior is trying to identify. And if it keeps going, you could say, whoa, 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 let's hear from Johnny first. Okay, Billy, you go. And don't monitor the communication delivery. Let them be angry. Let them say it with a lot of passion. Let them be spirited in their communication, just create the container for it to occur. So it's not two people shouting over each other. And if you're in the middle of a game and this starts happening, it would be great. It just stop the game. We're going to stop and we're going to hear from everybody. You go. Okay. Whoa, no, no, no. Let him finish. Okay. Now you go. Wow. This is a big problem. What's your idea? What's your idea? And use it as an opportunity to help them negotiate. Don't solve it for him. Don't tell him, well, it was Johnny's turn. Thomas, you weren't paying attention. You know, don't do that. Let them start to work through it with the support of you, the mature adult. I got to be honest. It sounds exhausting. Oh, my God. Parenting <laughs> is exhausting. Is there ever a stage <laughs> that isn't? No. I mean, I, some days I'm like, wow. We used to joke. I was a big attachment parent fan. I was like, La Leche League and all that stuff. And I nicknamed it exhaustion parenting because yeah. literally you're just spending every last ounce of yourself. And to be honest, that's not a great way to live as an adult. Mm. Um, you can't protect your kids from having bad feelings. Mm. They're going to have some. They're going to resent you you're not going to be able to give them the soft landing for every circumstance. Your children are not you and you can't fix your childhood through fixing theirs. These are mm. all things we do like a little Buddhist detachment here is helpful where you just say, okay, human beings living in a small space, 24 hours a day are going to fight. They're going to judge. They're going to resent. They're going to be angry. And then some days are going to be silly. Some days are going to be fun. Some days are going to be loving. But all of those things are going to happen. And mm. you actually have less to do with it than you imagine. We over endow ourselves with importance. That's, I think that's such a great point. I always have this hard balance with like, I really, really always want my kids to just figure it out. And it's sometimes a struggle when neighbor kids are here, too, because I'm a very figure it out kind of parent, um, not a helicopter parent yes, at all. Yes. And some of these kids aren't used to that. They're no. used to the adult jumping in at every every moment. And I'm sitting here saying, work it out, you know. But there are circumstances like the situation you just mentioned where it is helpful to jump in and kind of direct a little bit without solving the problem. Deciding when and when not to do it can be challenging. I think when it escalates to a point where you can hear hurt feelings or harm is imminent, that's the time for a parent. Also set a timer. Mm. Like nobody likes to be stuck mm. in an unfigureoutable circumstance. So you might say to your kids, Hey, I know you're struggling with this. I think it's good for you to work it out. I'm going to set a timer for five minutes. If you're still stuck, I'm going to come in and oh. offer you some support because really the best thing an adult does is create context Kids don't have perspective, mm -hmm. but adults do. And you can say things like, I have faith that you'll work this out, but I know even for me, some problems are really tricky and they take time. So if we don't get it all figured out today, it's okay. We'll revisit it. Don't worry. We'll get as far as we can today. One of those examples in my life was screen time. Mm 
because we had one computer and five kids. And so we must have tried 10 different strategies to evenly distribute the opportunity to be on a computer. And I will tell you, every single one of them had strengths and weaknesses and did not last. <laughs> so here we are looking for the once for all solution and none of them were. In fact, I think the only true solution eventually was buying a second computer, <laughs> you know? But there's five of them. More it's, not devices. Like, it's not like it's there's two kids, you had five kids. Totally. But for some reason that was enough. It relieved enough pressure. Totally. But there is that feeling, right? Like there must be a solution that is like the UN peacekeeping mission of this family. And most of it's just experimentation. And so when something stops working or you try it and it fails, I think it's really good to say, well, we tried that. Yeah. I guess it failed. Let's try something else. Instead of acting like there's a moral flaw in the people trying to uphold a system that isn't working. Hey, everybody. One last quick break here to let you know that I have training plans for sale on my website, lindsayhine.com. I have half marathon and marathon training plans. So if you are looking to set some goals and train for a half marathon or a marathon, I have beginner, intermediate, and advanced plans. Very detailed with instructional videos for pre and post run stretching and strength to help you prevent getting injured. I have a pace chart if you have a certain time goal. I put a lot of heart into these training plans and I believe they are awesome. The half marathon plans are $35. The marathon plans are $45. Super detailed. Um, just go to lindsayhine.com and click on the training plans tab on my website to learn more. You can use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, 5. That's the number 5, Lindsay5, for $5 off any of the training plans at lindsayhine.com. All right, friends, back to the show. I'm curious what your thoughts are on um, congratulating or like kind of cheering on when they do figure it out when you set that timer. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's an interesting spirit of millennial parenting that I'm just starting to really get to know. I was at my <laughs> granddaughter's three-year-old birthday and it was filled with parents your age and all their little kids um, and parents even younger. And I was like, dude, what is this vocabulary? <laughs> like, what are they doing? It's so dripping with intentionality. There was a part of me that just yes. wanted to say, can you just talk to her like she's a person? Not like, are you, uh, what, what was one about? It was really good. Are you feeling safe to climb the ladder or would you prefer <laughs> to stay on the land? And I was like, whatever happened to you? Do you want to just go on the ladder? Like, <laughs> I just like, you know, there was so much like framing. I and and some of that is so beautiful to me because totally. what I see in these parents is a real effort to value the autonomy of the child. So that is gorgeous. But in the name of that autonomy, sometimes it gets very controlling. It's a very funny. Am I right about this? Oh, totally. I have felt so, um, I, I don't think I'm the standard millennial parent either. Okay. And so oftentimes, like I was at the park one day and the, I mean, the way that this woman, and, and like you said, there was something really beautiful about it was just like getting down with her kid about this fit he was throwing. And in the meantime, I'm just throwing my two-year-old over my shoulder and we're just going to the car. And like, I'm not trying to like, talk to him about it because he's just having a temper tantrum. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, and maybe it's because I have four kids. I have felt that I don't have the patience for it or the time. I mean, I remember hearing on a radio show for parenting years ago, this mom explaining that, that, that she was really struggling with a kid who threw a tantrum. And then the radio show host said, well, have you ever just picked up the child and left? And she's like, and this is what I do. You know, my son, Derek, he is, if he throws a tantrum, we just get in the car and go. And the mother said back, I have four kids. The host only had a, one child. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the mom was like, why should I punish the other three? Because this one kid is throwing a fit. What is the solution? And it flummoxed the radio show host. And I was like, yeah, I have five kids. Your solution sucks. You know, that was the feeling. So, yeah, I think if we can take 
we can do both things. We can honor the feelings of the child and also take them a little less seriously. Yeah. Feelings come, they go. Yeah. We're going to feel what we feel. So if a child's throwing a tantrum and you've got four kids at the playground, maybe just let them throw the tantrum in your presence safely. You don't yeah. have to like deconstruct it, <laughs> you know, like it's a sociology report. Just be like, yeah, tantrum's happening. These three are playing, you know, physically keep them from harming themselves. It's not easy. And sometimes the two-year-old will ruin it for everybody else. Right, right. So then you do get in the car and you say, hey, two-year-old's having a hard time. I had to leave the park for each of you at some point. It's happening now for this one. This too shall pass. Yeah. Let's go get ice cream. You know, whatever you do to kind of name reality. Um, this is another millennial thing that I wonder about. Millennials were raised by my generation, who is the therapy generation. Like, yes. I, you know, we all started therapy in the 80s. For the first time, we were like, oh, adult children of alcoholics is a thing. Oh, <laughs> divorce harms you. These were all brand new ideas to us in the 80s. So then we tried to therapize our children. Now you guys grew up and you're all mad at us for all kinds of things I'm hearing <laughs> about. And you're turning around and you're using that kind of language like from the get-go with yeah. your kids. And I just kind of want to say there's no escape. Your kids are going to resent you for what you do. So be as loving and considerate, but try not to turn every single thing into a therapy prevention session. You cannot raise them well enough that they won't want to distance from you and reject some of what you did for them. Mm. You you probably won't have, I think there's this idea like that your kids will be close to you in a way that you aren't close to your parents. There's totally that idea. Yeah, it may or may not happen. I right. just have to tell you that because that's what I'm seeing across the board. My friends who are like amazing humans, have kids who are mad at them. It's just a thing. How do you, as an adult parent to adult kids, handle that heartbreak? Oh, cry. Yeah. It's really yeah. hard. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard when it happens. Um, and everybody has a different version of it. I, I think what I'm trying to make space for, and I've been doing a lot of studying of these generational differences, is that the world the millennials are in, the problems they're trying to solve, they're doing it through kind of a different lens. Boomers and Gen X were very individualistic. Uh, I'm apparently in Gen X, didn't know. I was so happy to find it out though, because I've never understood the boomers. So it's like, <laughs> okay, I guess maybe now I am. They they moved the the number back to 1961. I was like, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, but here's here's what they say about boomers and Gen X. They both the boomers apparently have a voice and they know they can use their voice and they can activate it in the culture pretty easily. Gen X got abandoned by boomers and they learned to bootstrap. So they're all very like bootstrappy competence oriented. And they expected the next generation to follow the formula they laid out for their kids. And now that generation got to adulthood and they're like, it didn't turn out the way you told us it would. I guess we have to build our own community and start from scratch. Mm. And so you have this feeling of like rejection that is against like the vision of the parents, whether they're Gen X or boomer parents. And the millennials are trying to like reinvent institutions and they're doing it with each other. And there's a sense of like protectiveness around the bubble they're building. And so I have tried to see it and honor it and not take it personally, but it's a journey. It's not easy. Yeah, it would be beautiful to have some like intergenerational, like ex not experiments, but like connection and teaching. And, you know, when I think of if I really wanted to go to like a parent conference or something like I don't want just one generation talking. I know? love that. I mean, I kind of agree with that. Um, I, I feel like the best parenting advice. There's two kinds you need. You need people who are in the trenches at the same time as you, because people like me, first of all, used totally different tools. It's been too long. My memories have sort of been softened by time. So I'm not dealing with it in the sort of felt experience way every single day. But then it's nice to have someone with a long view who sees how it all turns out. So I'll give you an example. When I was um, raising my kids early on, we lived in an apartment, well, a condo complex. 
And everybody in the condo complex was on top of each other all the time because we had no backyards. So I got to know these couple of families. And one of the families had two kids who were in daycare and camps and bottle fed completely parents, full-time, you know, working parents. And I was over here, stay-at-home mom, homeschooling, breastfeeding, natural (laughs) childbirth at home kind of mother. I judged them so hard. I'm like, those kids are not going to turn out well. They're going to be damaged. Okay, fast forward. I'm divorced and my kids live all over the world. Those kids and their parents are still tight. They still go on vacations together. Those kids turned out great. They have good jobs. They love camping. They've traveled all over the United States together as adults. And I was like, okay, so that (laughs) theory was stupid. (laughs) Isn't it nice to be able to look back and see it? Exactly. And that's the perspective someone my age can offer. So when I hear someone say, oh, I'm not breastfeeding, I don't have any reactivity to that anymore. I'm like, sure. Yeah. You know, that's that is not the deciding factor between whether your kids will be good humans or not. It's so funny. So my mom is the pretty much the exact same age as you. And she had us very young, like 19, 21, 23, done. And she always just kind of like laughs because she's like, you just overthink everything. She's like, I didn't. And she, you know, she'll say I mess. Yeah, I did a lot to mess things up. Like I didn't know what I was doing, but she's like, I just did. Like I had to like work and pay my bills and get you to all your things. And like, I didn't have time to like overanalyze how I'm crouching down and speaking to you. And I just had to survive. And so there's some beauty in that too. There is. Um, And I really, I think like everything, each generation has a gift that they offer their children, whether their children know what that gift is when they're in their thirties, I doubt it, (laughs) but, um, but they'll discover it. And then they also have their blindness, the thing that they did not understand or know when they were raising you. And so to have a little compassion for your parents who, who loved you as much as you love your children, even the bad parents loved you, even the alcoholics, even the ones who got divorces. When you have a baby in your arms and it's yours, that human bond, that biological, oh, it's going to make me cry. That biological connection is real. And all of those other challenges, the choices they made, the parenting strategies, the dysfunction that they relied on to cope with whatever was going on in their lives is still second to that. And so, you know, if I had a plea for millennials, it would just simply be that the humanity of your parents is equal to yours. Mm. Uh, You don't have to even forgive them. I'm not interested in, in platitudes, but just knowing that you're both, that everybody is making those decisions to cope with whatever is being presented, but the love, the love is underneath it. It is, it's there, even if you can't feel it. It's always a hard thing to like, I always talk, people on the podcast have probably heard me say this a million times when my mother-in-law passed away. My husband was like, this is really the first time I've really thought about my mom as like Peggy, not my mom, you know? There you go. Cause like, I think about her with her friends and her parties and her worries and her anxieties and all these things that like had nothing to do with actually being a mom. And so when we become adults, like we have, that's when you really, and sometimes that doesn't happen until your parent passes away and you're 35, you know, yes, or, or, or whatever. Yes. Or 50 or 60. That's right. And it's such an important thing to humanize your parents I also think it's really important to remember that your parents are being impacted by the culture that they're in when they're in their 20s, 30s, and 40s as well. Um, I had a conversation with one of my kids who was bringing up like all this body dysmorphia that shows up on social media and stuff. And she said, I wish our family was more open about talking about all that. And, And she was sort of blaming like the older generations, like my mom and me. And I'm like, do you think we aren't impacted by it? Yeah. Because I'm not over here hiding the ball. I'm not over here saying, oh, it's embarrassing to talk about bodies. I'm over here going on a diet. I am equally impacted. Like we're just at a time where we, all the generations can discuss it because of the way it's being talked about in the culture. But 30 years ago, 
No. You know, I was in a sorority 40 years ago with girls purging in the bathroom, right? Like that's, I'm from LA for goodness sake. So sometimes we think our parents are almost like outside Mm -hmm. the cultural pressures and they should have known better to do better by us when really they're equal victims (laughs) to the way the culture has set up how to human. Yeah. Like they were just living in what in what was reality for them. Yeah. They weren't deliberately calling you fat or or naming your body as a problem. Yeah. They were actually responding to what the culture told them was the right way to be a better human. And that's just one example. We could do this across the board, right? Whether it's education or finances or how to process pain or what it means to have a good intimate relationship. You know, when I was raising kids, the idea was obedience on the first command, and then you were supposed to spank them. I don't Mm -hmm. agree with that anymore. But everyone I listened to thought that was the way you raise children. So, you know. And talk about like having that complication with grandparents and us now when your parents think that you're supposed to do that still because that's what they did. Totally, totally hard. Totally hard. Honestly, for our generation, we've got to just like let you guys have your life. You know, don't interfere. Just be supportive. My mom, who I did not know this until long after I was done homeschooling, she told me she didn't believe in homeschooling. And I was like, she never told you that. No, I was like, you were the best homeschooling cheerleader. And she goes, well, I want your kids to turn out. I just always distrusted it. It's not fundamentally what I believed in, but I've seen the results. They've turned out great. And I'm like, mom, you never let on. She's like, that's because you get to make your own decisions for your life. I'm here to support you, not your decisions. That's so beautiful. I know because I know when my parents want to step in, they want to step in for the same reasons we want to step in. Like we we started this conversation with because they want the best for me and my kids. Exactly. But man, it can cause some tension. It can. And that's when having a good conversation matters, if you can. Um, I Everybody has different strategies for those conversations. I absolutely am not a therapist. Don't play one on TV or Instagram. But I, I do think there's a difference between accusations and expressing feelings. Mm-hmm. So if your parents are interfering, rather than saying, you know, I knew you would do this. Uh, that, you know, I don't agree with your strategy. This is how it harmed me. You should have known better. Those are accusations. But to say, I know this is your position. In my experience, it hurt. I'm trying something new. I would welcome your support. These are ways to invite conversation as opposed to accusing them of deliberately trying to harm you or your kids. They're not easy conversations. They never go according to any therapy script. People always go off the script that you learned on the therapist's couch. So just being present to all the feelings that come up for you is about all you can do. Ah, Julie, this is so good. (laughs) Okay, let's wrap it with um, as a Gen X, way younger than the boomers. What I'm assuming the major I'm an elder millennial. I'm almost in that middle category because I'm 1983. Oh, um, yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. right. They, they, I think there's like a four-year gap there where they, I forget what they call us, but I'm definitely an elder millennial. But like, what what's your message as a Gen Xer to us millennials all around the millennial age? What, what would you like us to Oh, make? my gosh. Here's my, here's the main thing I want to say. You already know what you need to know. Mm. The endless scrolling. Yes, you can learn some techniques, but you can rely on yourself. I feel like what maybe millennials don't trust is their core knowing. So to be authentic is like the hallmark of millennials. And then they go around pretending to be authentic, actually be honoring of who you are. So if you feel tired, it's okay to tell your kids, I'm really tired. This fighting is is really hard for me right now. I want to support you. I'm just really tired. And start from the truth. Try not to script everything to prevent disaster. (laughs) Just be yourself. Trust that self. And that self will lead you over time. You will get better and better at knowing who you are. But you guys are so dang smart. 
your researchers, you're quick to pivot when you learn that something isn't right or that you were doing it wrong. Like there's so much wisdom in this generation. You have access to more information than the history of humankind. Implement a little of it and then just be true to yourselves and trust that that's enough. I really think it is. I'm so impressed by all of you. Thank you, Julie. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Julie, for coming on the show. Don't forget to go find Julie, Brave Rider Julie on Instagram. You can find me personally. I would love to connect with you. I am lindsayhine626 on Instagram, at lindsayhine on Twitter. And this podcast is Why Is Everyone Yelling on Instagram. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider sharing it on social media or with your friends. I really want to grow this show because I believe in the messages we are sharing and also believing that we are encouraging people when they listen and supporting them. And uh, I want more people to feel that encouragement and support. Thanks, Julie, for being here. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm so appreciative that you're here. Have a great rest of your day and we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?